Welcome to the Seven Figure Fundraising Podcast, the podcast where we discuss specific tactics and strategies to grow your nonprofit. I'm your host, Trevor Bragdon. And today we're going to be kicking off a new series on the podcast. It's been a little while since we've released an episode and we're launching a whole new series on the psychology of fundraising. And we're going to be interviewing different guests, but also my brother, Taryn Bragdon, who co-founded Seven Figure Fundraising with me and runs the Foundation for Government Accountability, which is a nonprofit he started and grew from $50,000 in seed money to now they raise over $18 million a year. We're going to just be discussing these different aspects of the psychology of fundraising, the mindset you need as a fundraiser, but also how your donors think differently. So we're going to be kicking off this new series by talking about something that's really important to people who attend our class. We've had over 350 different nonprofit leaders come through our training. And one thing they ask frequently about is this whole quest to find new donors. These can be some of the hardest people to reach, some of the most difficult people to close. But, you know, obviously, if you're going to grow, they're one of the strategies for growing. So, Taryn, let's jump in and let's just talk about this whole idea of how should we approach pitching a new donor versus an existing donor? And what should fundraisers be thinking about when they're looking at this difference between these new donors and the existing donors? Trevor, it's great to have this conversation with you because I've learned a ton from talking to you about this. I think you know one of the great things about fundraising at the same time or teaching others how to fundraise is you get to try new things, but sometimes you can get so focused and dialed into what you've always done that it's harder to step back and have somebody like yourself ask tough questions of, well, For somebody who doesn't know anything about the organization, how do you establish a rapport or how do you establish trust or how do you sort of get them, pique their interest so that they're willing to go on a little bit of a exploratory journey with you to see if you are worthy of an investment? In my mind, I used to think of prospects as just people who weren't yet donors. And so I was treating them as donors who just hadn't written a check rather than treating them as a bit of a blank sheet of paper. And how did I want to fill up that sheet of paper or what did I want them to know? And how did we establish a bit of a relationship over time with them? That psychology and what you've taught me with the behavioral science behind it, the mindset behind it has been really, really helpful because even if that prospect is a referral, which a lot of our prospects are, referrals from current donors, there's still a whole psychology that you have to understand of this is somebody who doesn't know anything about you, may have heard a little bit, but they're really not familiar with the work of your organization, the why behind your organization, and what you've accomplished and why it matters and where you're going. And that's a lot to cover in, if you will, a first date or maybe even more accurately in a speed date where you're getting kind of 10 minutes for somebody to say thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm interested in learning more. Right. Well, and you think about it from that donor's perspective or this prospect's perspective, when they're a meeting with you, first off, if they're charitable, they're already giving away a lot of money. So a lot of their charitable donations are already committed And then they're also, you know, they have probably set aside some money for new donations. But 
they're meeting you for the first time. So it is this whole thing about establishing trust with you as a fundraiser in a very short period of time. And you think about like they have to a agree with the work you're doing. So agree with the business model. They have to figure out enough. So they kind of understand you as a person, you know, do you have a good character? Are you going to be somebody who is going to live up to what they say? And then they're also just have to decide, like, is this going to fit in their philanthropic priorities? Because, you know, they might be interested in your sector of the nonprofit world, but maybe they need to figure out what is it about your execution that separates you from, you know, a similar nonprofit. So that's a lot to get in, a lot to unpack in a, say, 25-minute or 30-minute meeting. Here's a couple of things that I think it's important that I've learned with reaching out to prospects. First, make it easy for them to say yes. So don't ask for a big commitment of time. And Make it so that it's easy for them to join by whatever medium they're comfortable with. So if that's a phone call, if that's a video call, make it easy for them to say yes and don't ask for too much of their time. Because part of the psychology here is I want people to either opt in, meaning continue with this process to see if it goes anywhere, or opt out so I don't waste my time and they don't waste their time. Because the people we're targeting are people who have the capacity to write five, six, and seven-figure checks, so their time is limited, and you don't want to sort of abuse the privilege, and you want to make it easy for them to engage with you. And so that's been kind of the first lesson, too, of for that intro call, maybe you schedule 20 minutes, you block it on your calendar, but you talk about hey, can I have 10 minutes of your time to tell you a little bit about what we do and to see if you're interested in learning more? That's a hard thing for somebody to say no to if they're at all curious. And I think the other point you made is really a critical one. There's a lot of really worthy charities, but you're looking for this magic alignment where my philanthropic strategy as a donor aligns with your business strategy and mission as a nonprofit. And so they're probably used to hearing a lot of worthy causes and then weeding them out or weeding through them, if you will, to decide which ones are best matched to become part of their portfolio of giving. Yeah, that's such a great point on reducing the friction enough so they can say yes. And I think this is where you have the clever strategy with this 10-minute call because they can opt in, they can say yes, they can participate in the call. But then what do you do on the call once you're there to get them more interested to sit down with you? You pique their interest enough to get them there. You've reduced the friction enough to have them say yes, but then you want to get them interested enough to sit down for a 30-minute or 60-minute meeting where you can really lay out the full pitch in what you plan to do. So how do you approach that? This is where you've really taught me a lot of stepping back and thinking about, even though you know me well, obviously, and know our organization well, but of thinking like somebody who doesn't and thinking like a high-level prospect. So one of the first things that we want to do in that 10-minute call is pique their interest and establish a bit of rapport and trust and understanding of this is how we do our work, or this is our theory of impact, or this is our whole theory of change. And this is how I got to this point. So 
a couple different things that have just been interesting to me too. So I do, as head of the organization, I do these uh, intro calls. Right now, my schedule is to do 20 of these every quarter. So over the course of this year, I'll do 80 of them. What's great about that is that's a lot of first touches with folks. And you are able to really test what works and what doesn't work. So if I only were doing a handful of these, I wouldn't really know is this approach working or not? But now that I've done almost 40 so far this year, that I really have an understanding of, okay, that approach that you outlined for me of theory of change, establishing trust, giving a little bit of my background is completely different than what I started doing when we were, you know, what we used to do, I should say, with prospecting, where it was more like a mini pitch. But the problem is it was like going on a first date where I start talking about how many kids I want to have. It's just too much too soon rather than, you know, kind of in a speed dating where I'm trying to pique your interest with, you know, I'm three dimensional in this particular way or this is what I'm really passionate about. And when you think about the person that you're talking to, they tend to be entrepreneurial. They've tested a bunch of different things. They're older. So they think about life experience has some lessons learned from it. And so one of the things that's been really helpful is to lean into that and to talk about, here's what I've learned and here's how it impacts what we do. Would you like to learn more? So it's a little bit of, here's our whole theory of change. Here's a bit about my background. So you feel like you know me better. And here's a, enough that I pique your curiosity and that you're interested in learning more. Or if you're not, it's an easy time to opt out. Right. Well, and it's such a great model because if you think about the whole trust dynamic that you mentioned, when somebody is a new donor, they're trying to figure out, am I going to trust you in your organization enough to give a check? And so like when they look at trust, they break this down as like three big components. You have integrity is one of them. You know, is this person going to be honest? You have this other one is like, do they have good intent? Or they talk about it as benevolence, but you know, good intent is more probably how we talk about it in modern day English. And then the third factor that they have is ability. So they're weighing all of these kind of three things and that decides, am I going to take a risk with you? Am I going to make that decision to you know, say yes and give that initial donation? So by having these two stories that you tell, you know, you're giving some background about yourself. So you're answering these questions about integrity, about intent, because you're telling some background about yourself, what you've accomplished, why you're doing the work you do today, helping the donor figure out what's really going on with you. And then you're also talking about the ability part when you talk about how you do the work of the organization and the theory of change. Because I'm sure with most donors that have given to organizations where they liked the founder, liked the mission, but then they weren't able to do the work you know, or be able to execute the way the donor wanted. So if you can hit on all three of those, it really sets you up well. You've kind of piqued their interest. And then when you go and you meet with them, you have a good foundation set, but then you can lay out in much more detail. Okay, you remember I told you about how we got started. Here's how it works to do this long term or how here's how we do it specifically step by step. So let's just unpack that for a second in a completely different business model. So say I ran a school, this intro call might begin with, you know, as I was growing up and I think about the one person outside my parents who had the most impact on me, it was this person connected to my school. 
And ever since, you know, Mr. Smith was such a powerful coach in my life at a critical time when I was depressed, when I thought, you know, I had no athletic ability, Mr. Smith put me on a path that I want to be an educator just like that. And so that's how I developed my passion. But I used to think that the way to impact kids was this. But instead, I learned that this mattered. And then after I worked more in the industry, I learned that this mattered. And so I had an opportunity to you know, lead this nonprofit or start this nonprofit. I was able to put that in practice, but it actually worked even differently than what I imagined. So today, here's what we do. Like It could be that kind of journey that you're taking somebody on. So what I learn as a prospect of that is maybe a little bit about your childhood, You know, not every woe, but a little bit that gives me something that suddenly you're three-dimensional. I learn why you're passionate about the work you're doing. I learn what you thought and what you've learned along the way. And as an entrepreneur, you learn more from your failures oftentimes than your successes. So I'm kind of leaning in and being a bit of a peer. And then I'm not talking too much about the organization. So I'm not doing a hard sell right away. It'd be like if you were buying a car and you went on a car lot and the guy said, oh, are you interested? And he's like, oh, I'm just looking. And then they leave you alone for a little bit and then you come back kind of thing where you're letting the person sort of soak it in. And then how we end the call is we use the whole elevator close of, you know, here's how we're majority funded by people who give at this level. And we have a whole podcast on that that people can listen to. But then what we do as part of that is we then say, if you'd like to learn more, I want to dive deeper into what we've accomplished so far and where we're going. Can we schedule a follow up video call for, you know, a half hour, 40 minutes where I can present in depth for nine minutes of our bigger strategy and to see if that's something you're interested in investing in. So what I don't do is say, I'll follow up with you later. So you want to schedule that follow-up right away. What I've also not done is scheduled, and this is a big change, is not scheduled in-person follow-up for some date down the road that then becomes really difficult to schedule. Instead, it's a follow-up video that people are much more comfortable with post-COVID than they were before, but it gives another easy way to get this scheduled. It's much easier for somebody to ask for that. If they're not interested in scheduling that right away on the intro call, that's a data point that they're probably not that into you or not that into you right now. And so you might need to follow up for a longer period of time. So that's the other piece is schedule that follow up right on the initial call. So you're always have a time on the calendar when you're going to reconnect with that person. Yeah, I think there's two big things I want to unpack there. First is just this whole making sure you're closing with them by getting that meeting schedule while they're in this like excited state, they're interested, you're locking it in right then, but it's only a half hour Zoom call. So it's easy to squeeze in even with a busy person schedule, even if it's a month or six weeks from now. So that's a key factor if people are trying to replicate this on their own. And then I want to just go back to the pitch itself. What's interesting about doing that whole story of your background and then going into this is how it informs the work we do is it also fits the life journey that a lot of these entrepreneurs and donors have had themselves. So it's familiar to them, but yet you're giving the novel twist on it. Like this is how it informs my own you know, nonprofit, or this is how it informs the work that we're doing. So that's this interesting thing because it's familiar enough to them, but then unique. So they're wanting to learn more, 
but it's not like this radically different thing that they're just like, I don't even get what you guys are doing. It's okay, it's a founder's journey or it's an entrepreneurial journey that did a bunch of different things along the way. And then the end result was getting into this work that I'm doing today. So I think that's really an important point not to miss is you're matching your own life experience and framing it in a way that matches their life experience, which can be a powerful way to connect. And again, no one's doing this to be manipulative or anything. It's just to make your nonprofit, which is very complicated for, you know, you do have 40 plus employees. Most nonprofits do many different things in many different areas. It's getting this complicated business and breaking it down so somebody in 10 minutes can understand enough to want to go ahead and have a longer discussion about funding. Yeah. And we're all into story. We're all into people's story. You know, if you sit down next to a stranger or meet somebody at a a reception that you first ask questions about maybe their work, their story, why are they here? You know, if it's a wedding, who do you know, the bride or the groom? So we're all searching for story. So what you're offering is that story. The other piece of it that I think is really key is you're not coming on too strong right away. So you don't seem overly salesy or like you're doing the hard sell. And so I think, you know, and this is a lesson learned when we almost went bankrupt a year in and times were desperate, but you never want to fundraise from a point of desperation or a deficit. Like that can seem like it's really compelling and urgent, but it can be annoying. And it makes me sort of wonder how sound the business is as a prospect. And so you never want to come across that way. And by telling the story, it's a lot more interesting to the listener. And it doesn't have that sort of false urgency or seem like you're strong arming them or trying to manipulate them. The other thing that we do after we've scheduled that follow up call is I send them a little handwritten note with a hard copy of, we have like a one-page overview of the organization, our most recent annual report, or we do a mid-year report halfway through the year. But I want to, between that first communication, which oftentimes is just by phone, so no video, no visual, and that second video call, I want them to have something where they can learn a little bit more about the organization and they have something tangible that they get. And that's been really effective, too, because now you're giving them all sorts of context. And even in the appointment, you know, I'll set up like a Zoom call. Even in that, I'll say, great talking to you, you know, on May 10th. This is the follow up call to that where I'll talk more about the you know work of the Foundation for Government Accountability. But I'm giving them different cues along the way. There's making them feel more comfortable and more familiar. And so it's different touches that has been proven to be really effective. And what's interesting is on that follow-up call, I'll ask, did you get, you know, the package I sent you? It's not too much. It's like, you know, a people magazine or something, if you will, something you can easily flip through and get away, get or take away the big headlines. But it gives them a little bit more of an explanation of what you do, what you prioritize. So then when I go into the prospect pitch, as we'll talk about in just a minute, that they have more context and they feel like they know you and the organization that much better. So again, we're we're now moving along a road, if you will, where they're getting to a decision point. Do they want to give or not? Do they want to partner with you or not? Right. Well, it's so clever setting a physical thing. It's not just an email with a PDF of your annual report, which would be great, but having the physical thing much more apt to flip through it, have it on their desk. You'll sit, remind them of the meeting that they have coming up. It's something to physically have. 
and then the handwritten note. I mean, most of the time you get maybe a couple birthday cards during the year, like two, you know, so you just don't get that many handwritten things. So again, you're signaling, we're a trustworthy organization. We have follow through, you know, those integrity, that intent, all of that. You're reinforcing that right, you know, before you even give your official pitch. But what's interesting too is it's not as if we produced a bunch of prospect specific things. We don't have like a prospect version of our annual report. So not creating a bunch of new stuff or a bunch of extra work, I'm using what we already have, just repurposing it for this journey that we're taking a prospect on where hopefully they'll become a partner and a donor. Yeah, that's such a great point. It's not two different things. Everyone gets the same, but it's a unique experience for them as a new donor. I just want to take one minute and quickly just tell you about our upcoming workshop we have. If you've been interested in the seven-figure fundraising workshop, we have one coming up this fall. This is a live online workshop. It's six two-hour classes that we'll be having over three weeks starting on September 27th. This is done via Zoom. It's a really well-produced video workshop. We send you a workbook, you get it, and you can do it safely from your house or from your office. And what's great about it is you get to work on your fundraising and really learn the seven-figure system over three weeks. And it doesn't matter really what time zone you're in. We've had people as far away as Uganda be part of this workshop. You know, they were doing it really late at night. We usually do it midday so we can get all American time zones easily. But this is a workshop that you can join and really just learn the seven-figure system. We'll go through, work with you on developing your own fundraising pitch. We'll talk to you about all of the different aspects of major donor fundraising and really just make you feel confident the next time you have to sit down with a major donor. So that's going to be happening on September 27th, and you can find out more at sevenfigurefundraising.com. That's the number seven, figurefundraising.com, and you can sign up on there on the website, and we also have payment plans available as well on there. All right, going back to the interview, Taryn, Let's just talk about the prospect pitch itself. When you do get on these video calls, just let's talk from a higher level. We have some videos on how to build a pitch, and we've had a couple episodes where we've talked in depth about the pitch. But just on a high level, what are you looking for in a pitch when you're appealing to a new donor versus somebody who's given to you for a long time? So this is where, again, you've been really helpful to me because I used to think, okay, I put all this time and effort into the donor pitch to get them to renew, to inspire them to increase. Great. I have a prospect. I know exactly what I'm going to deliver. The challenging thing is the donor has all this context because they've had a relationship with you sometimes for many different years that a prospect doesn't have. And so you need to think about a few different things where the prospect pitch is different. One, when you get them on the follow-up video call, it's good to just recap, you know, last time when we talked, I spoke about this. So you're just giving them a friendly reminder of here's what we spoke about, and it's fresh in their mind. So they don't feel like, I can't remember all the details of, you know, that theory of change or a couple of those really important life events. So say like a four or five sentence recap of last time we spoke about this dive a little bit more into that theory of change that you sort of teased out, but you give them, if you think about it as an outline, one layer deeper of what that means. And then at a really high level, what you've accomplished, and then the three big things you're doing going forward. 
This is where it's simplified and you dive a little bit deeper on the front end into that theory of change. So they're understanding more of the why and how and then the three big ideas. And I think that the key here is not overloading them and not assuming a base level of knowledge that they don't have. And what's interesting about this is it also gives them the opportunity in questions to go deeper into whatever part of your work as an organization that they want to do that they're more interested in. Or maybe to ask a question like, do you deal with this kind of need? Or do you have a program that does this kind of thing? So you're giving them this framework and then they can go where they want to go. And that's been really, really helpful to give them an opportunity to respond and see what they say. For some people, that's enough. And they might decide, okay, I need to think about this, but we want to give, I'll let you know how much it's going to be. And then it goes back to the connector for follow-up. For other people, it might be the vetting is continuing and I'm asking for follow-up information where I want to dive a little bit deeper into this particular thing. And if they do that, We might then put together a narrative document that's like three or four pages that gives them a little more detail about what we talked about, or maybe a more in-depth overview into this one aspect of the organization and what has been the impact and what is the work about this particular thing that they're really into. In our world, that might be uh, more interested in what are you doing in my home state, or I'm more interested in this particular policy area. You know, for that education example, the made up one we were just talking about, it might be you know, I'm really into your athletic program. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do and the impact that you've had on students? But what you're doing is you're allowing them to shape where it goes and to develop the partnership and to build that trust even further. And what's been interesting working with you and other people developing these prospect pitches is in some ways it's actually harder to do a prospect pitch than it is to do a pitch for your existing donors. Because It's that whole stepping back to think of it like somebody who doesn't know anything about your organization. Like, so you have to really go to like the 25,000 foot level, talk about it in a high level way, kind of it's more overview and you'll instinctively, you feel like you're not sharing enough, you know, and you want to add in more detail. But what you want to do is give them enough detail, like you said, so they can ask questions on what's interesting to them. One of the things that we've done, you know, when working together is really dialing back the number of statistics you put in the pitch, only having a few in there, making sure they're translated really well. If you bring up a statistic, you know, having a sentence before or right after that explains what it means, like really assuming the base level of knowledge. It's not like these donors don't know about your industry. It's more about not making the donor feel stupid or have to think about something. So instead of using an acronym, you use the full phrase. Or instead of using jargon, you make sure you explain it. Just so for them, it's really crystal clear what you do, and they can ask the questions on the areas that they're interested in. Well, and this is where it's so important to script that out. Because if you don't script that out, then... It's easy to just default to the typical donor pitch that you're doing and to either make them feel stupid, like you said, or overwhelm them with so much context, which is interesting to a current donor, 
because they've been with you for a long time, but is meaningless and overwhelming to a prospect. And so you really want to think about that these things are different. If you, if you think about them as like a Venn diagram or they're concentric circles where the donor pitch is a smaller version, if you will, with some other information of that bigger pitch, but you really want to think through what matters the most. So it might also be too, rather than selling you on the five big things we're doing going forward, I really lean into the one or two that matter most. And so I'm also showcasing what are my priorities there. And also need to appreciate that sometimes people, if they're asking for follow-up information, it's just part of this test and vetting process that people do. People who have acquired wealth and who write big checks to charities are diligent about investigating and doing their homework. And part of doing their homework is seeing if you will follow through on their questions and their information. Because if you don't, I assume you either are unprofessional or you're hiding something. And so one, by sending them that hard copy letter after the first call, you're signaling, hey, I'm freely providing information to you that you didn't ask for. And then two, if they ask for some follow-up information, you're signaling, I am responsive and timely to your detailed request, because that's the kind of partnership. And again, I, I think what's so important for people is we're not playing a numbers game where we're bringing in you know hundreds or thousands of new donors every year. Instead, what you're doing is you're bringing in, you know, maybe it's four, six, 10 major donors. So for us, that's 20,000 or more, but it adds up to big money. So last year, for context, we received 1.1 million from brand new donors. So that's how much money from people who were writing their first check to us last year. So that's a small number of people. But 10 major donors out of that category, but a big impact. So our win rate for prospects is about 19%. So out of every five people we talk to, one will actually write a check in some timely way, like over the next 12 months after we've made that ask. So it's a small numbers, big impact kind of game. So if I have to have four or five calls and some follow-up with you, that's fine because I'm playing a long game here and the lifetime value of that partnership and the impact it can have on the work you're doing is monumental. I think that's such a great point for people to remember. When you're talking with prospects, the win rate is so much lower than with existing donors. So you have about 20%, one out of five will close. If you look at this like on a global level, like if you have a warm lead, like a referral, or you have someone you like meet at something that you want to bring in and have a setup that try to establish a meeting with, you probably have what we refer to as the 12X rule. So basically for every 12 warm leads you have, they will end up being one new donor. And so these are just kind of rules of thumb. Taryn, you know, you just mentioned you had one out of five when you get them on the phone or we get you have a formal pitch with them that they close, which is about, you know, that 20 or so percent is about what the industry average is. And then if somebody is a cold lead, like somebody where they really aren't connected, they don't have a personal introduction, it's more like a hundred X. You need a hundred cold leads to even get a single donor. So it's really about when you're thinking about this prospecting process is thinking about who are people that are either connected with our organization already or somewhat familiar with us or can be referred from our existing donors because it's that whole issue of trust that we've been talking about all through this conversation. If you have a warm introduction, that trust bar is so much higher 
in there for you get more people agreeing to do that 10 minute phone call. And from that 10 minute phone call, you know, more people agreeing to then do the Zoom call and do the pitch and then more people agreeing and saying yes. So it's all about, you know, seeing if you can warm up these leads so you can get that sort of success. All the while remembering, like you said, Taryn, it's a small numbers game and success can be a small number of new donors that has a big impact on your nonprofit. Well, and that's why it's important to acknowledge that out of the three levers of revenue growth, and people can, you know, look at or listen to that podcast, this is lever number three, the last one you have to worry about. You probably have enough donors right now to double your revenue, to focus on a great pitch, a great donor relationship system. We go in depth into that in the workshop, but this is an important piece, but it's also different. And you can take what you've learned from those other aspects of lever number one and lever number two, but you have to apply it in a different way. And when we started doing that, it became a lot more manageable to push more people through this prospecting system and to get a better yield on it. And then at the same time, if you're getting a good yield on it, people who make referrals, your current donors, are more apt to make more referrals. So it's this whole system, flywheel, if you will, that will build on itself. And the longer you do good fundraising, the easier the prospecting gets because of the credibility and connections you have. But it can be a little bit of a grind. And so you're absolutely right. You want to focus on those referrals first because they're the most rewarding, both financially as well as with their win rate. I think that's a great place to wrap up, Taryn. But I appreciate you taking the time today. And if you're interested in learning more, learning more about how you can make your own flywheel of getting new donors, having existing donors increase, check out our website, sevenfigurefundraising.com and look into our upcoming workshop that starts on September 27th. Thanks for being on the show, Taryn. My pleasure. Thanks for all your help with us really developing this great prospecting system from intro call to hard copy mailing to video pitch to getting a great yield like a million dollars from new donors last year. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in our upcoming workshop, visit our website at sevenfigurefundraising.com. We conduct these workshops twice a year in March and September, and we've broken these workshops up so you can take them live online with six two-hour courses spread over three weeks. We'll send you a workbook and other class materials to make it really easy for you to follow along. In fact, this is what one of our students, Austin, said about his experience in our workshop. Hi, my name is Austin Brooks. I'm an executive director of a nonprofit called Midland Institute for Entrepreneurship. I took seven figure fundraising 18 months ago. And since that course, um, two things I want to share. One is the results. Two is what I didn't expect. And the results as a nonprofit, even though we reach into 10 states, even though we're working in 320 high schools, um, we've always had a pretty small donor base. And what's been so powerful in the results that we've seen since this course is I've successfully been able to recruit and add some new donors that had never previously been given to our organization. And then more importantly, there's this idea that's going to be shared in this course called the dynamic dozen. You have to take the course to figure out what it's about. But within our dynamic dozen, we had five donors increase their giving in a big way. And between that and the new donors, this has been a game changer for our growing nonprofit. But the second thing that I really took away that really matters is just the mindset shift. What I wasn't expecting was how much my mindset 
needed to shift, how much I had to shift my poverty thinking or my scarcity mindset to realizing that whether there's a recession, whether we lose a couple donors, if your organization is doing good work, more people need to know about it. And so the confidence that I gained in terms of talking to high level individuals who believe in our mission has just grown. And what's been more um, impressive than anything is the proof has been in the actual donors we've gained. So if I can do this, I believe you can. You can't miss this course. You got to take it. If you're interested in attending, visit sevenfigurefundraising.com. We hope to see you there. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please take 60 seconds to leave a review. Thanks a lot and good luck with your fundraising.